There's a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. Good evening, I'm Debbie George Addis, and welcome to my show. I'm so grateful to have every Sunday evening to talk with you about issues facing America. I'm going to start tonight with uh, this, what is, you may have seen headlines over the past few days relating to the um, statements or concerns some people in left-wing media are expressing about our new national security advisor, John Bolton, uh, recently appointed that position by President Trump and his new head of staff, his new, um, it's, it's a... I'm sorry for the correct title. He is National Security Council Chief of Staff and Executive Secretary Fred Flights. The reason this matters, the reason you're hearing so much from the American left about Fred Flights, John Bolton, this group of people who are now heading up the National Security Agency, is that because on the American left, what they have been doing for the past eight years under the Obama administration is becoming more apparent, becoming more evident. During the past eight years, the Obama administration participated in many, many ways and at the very least enabling the uh, Islamic forces in this world, enabling the uh, movements of Islamists in this country, and simply would not act to defend America in a variety of ways. So, the people now appointed John Bolton, National Security Advisor, Fred Flights, now to be his chief of staff and executive secretary, are far more, far more outspoken, far more bold in speaking up about the dangers Islam, radical Islam, presents to America. And so the groups who backed uh, the previous administration's approach, which was, for example, to enter into the Iranian deal that essentially enabled the development of nuclear weapons by Iran, the number one terror exporting country in the world. John Bolton and Fred Flights are people who said, no, that was a bad thing. What you're seeing, though, is this, this appointment by President Trump. And then the this ongoing attack, which in the media is coming from the very disgraced and far leftist Southern Poverty Law Center, Southern Poverty Law Center, who had the audacity to label as a dangerous person, as a hater, Ayan Hirsi Ali, who's trying to speak up about Islamic hatred, trying to speak up about the dangers Islam presents to people, uh, to, to especially to women. She's trying to speak up about women. She was labeled by them as a hater because she told the truth about how women are treated in Islam. So on Fred Flights, if you don't know who he is, he's been on the show with me numerous times. He's also joined me on other shows that where I have substitute hosted. Fred Flights, he served in United States national security positions for 25 years. 25 years. CIA, DIA, Department of State, House Intelligence Committee staff. During the George W. Bush administration, Fred Fleiss was chief of staff to John Bolton's. Now he's back in that position, then, who was then the undersecretary of state for arms control, international security. Fred Fleiss has written extensively about the dangers posed by radical Islam to America, to the Western world, to Western civilization. And this is just not okay with the leftists on the Obama holdover in the Obama holdover world. So they have spoken out in extreme uh, terms. They have been denouncing him as a dangerous Islamophobe, as someone to be watched. But let me just ask you this. 
As one example of the many, many great things that Fred Flights did, during, and he previously was with the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., a very well-established, very highly respected you know, think tank that works not just to understand the threat posed by radical Islam— and presented by radical Islam in America, but to try to expose, you know, the ways in which those those efforts happen more surreptitiously, more in a more hidden way. So Center for Security Policy speaks up about things. Fred Flights, in his time with Center for Security Policy, before he went back to work with John Bolton, uh, wrote numerous pieces, um, numerous columns, articles. He's testified. But one thing he wrote about, just as a little example to give you the distinction between how the right wing sees him and the left wing sees him. He wrote about the danger of Islamic immigration to America, where we have communities throughout America where the uh, individuals do not assimilate. They come to America, Muslim majority areas in city in areas around the country. They don't assimilate. They settle into one particular area. Those areas have proven historically and factually to be hotbeds of creating and developing the what they, they call it being radicalized online. But the truth is these people are in these communities and not really engaging with the community around them, not really engaging with the people uh, and becoming Americanized, but instead are bringing uh, their dangerous ideas with them. And so he's spoken up about that. He's saying this is not a good thing. This is not healthy. This is not that's good for America. I got to tell you, folks, a simple thing to point out about this is this. What Fred Fleiss has written about the dangers of Islam in America, the communities who have Islamic majorities where they have, they can show they have had young people radicalized and become terrorists. His stories and his statements are either true or they're not true, not true. They're either factual or not factual. This is not a matter of opinion. These are matters of facts. And Fred Flights has had the bravery and the clarity to speak up on matters of fact about issues facing America's security and in a way that will make him a fabulous asset as the uh, chief of staff for John Bolton. So, so we come back after the break. It's coming right up to a little bit more about why you need to speak up for Fred Flights. It's a great appointment by President Trump to national security. Come right back. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. 
With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with five talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Can you hear us now? Can you hear us now? The soul of freedom. And good evening. Welcome back to American Community Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. For people listening on radio, thank you. I already got a few text messages saying, love what you said about Fred Flights. For people listening on Facebook Live, I'm so sorry. It appears that this uh, somehow the sound wasn't going out on Facebook Live. So I'm hoping someone's going to post here in a second or text me again and tell me that you now have the sound on Facebook Live. Hate to have had you missed our opening five. But here was a quick story. Um, and I want to be sure you um, understand what happened um, with Fred Flights. Right now, we have, you know, President Trump has appointed John Bolton as his national security advisor. This is a great step in the eyes of many, many conservatives, a great step. The idea that we are going to be um, firm with um, Islamic terror, that we're going to speak truth about it and keep it. And, and so because Fred Flights has been an outspoken advocate for America being alert to the dangers of radical Islam, being alert to the uh, danger in America of groups that pretend to be uh, 
on the up and up, pretend to be helping, and are actually assisting in uh, the process called civilization jihad. Fred Flights, because he's been outspoken, he writes, he researches, he speaks. He's a very, very well-respected figure, 25 years in national security. But because he's now been appointed as an assistant to John Bolton, the left has gone wild criticizing that decision. It was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal earlier this week. And I want to make some, a couple of the points about the people who are criticizing the decision um, about whether, uh, whether Fred Flights was a, um, should have been named um, as a national security advisor. This is coming from Obama-era lefties. This is coming from people whose policy under the Obama years included things like removing from the national security training manuals, removing from the national security training manuals all references to Islam, to jihad, to hijra, to all these terms that anyone actually who's going to be helpful and competent in being able to defend America needs to know those terms. But those terms were all removed at the behest of Islamic organizations in America, such as CARE, who said these terms are offensive to us, so you can't use them. So these are the people who thought the more appropriate, the more uh, effective, the, the better course for our national security people was to have them never learn about the threat of radical Islam, never have them learn the terms that should be that would be used so they could do proper, thorough, and accurate investigation. These are the people that are now saying that putting someone in place, someone assisting John Bolton as national security advisor, is somehow that's a dangerous move to have someone like Fred Flights who actually understands the problem and who's spoken extensively and clearly over and over and over saying he is not talking about every Muslim. He says it all the time. He has written it all the time. He is not talking about every Muslim, but he's also not willing to close his eyes to the danger that he and many other and other experts in national security can plainly see facing America. So if you're active on Twitter, you ought to be looking for these tweets, attacking Fred Flight and pointing these things out. We're better off having someone in that position willing to speak truth about the danger to America of radical Islam rather than having someone who learned the, to tiptoe around and be politically correct as people did for eight years under President Obama, never willing to speak plain, simple truth. Okay, so sorry on Facebook Live if you missed the beginning of the show, but that's what we were talking about. And I want to just say um, the efforts of numerous uh, commentators to come to his defense have been wonderful. Um, if you look on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, we've listed some of the articles that were out. It's really important to understand this is a sinister, sinister Obama-related national security attack on Fred Flight's on John Bolton, on the effort of America to stand up. And remember, by the way, back to President Obama for a moment. Because he was so willing to kowtow, to bow, to sign the Iranian deal that did nothing except for, in the, in the expert opinion of many, many, many national security experts who've been on this show, been all over the media, the Iranian deal enabled Iran to continue developing its nuclear weapons program. It had, it had inspection provisions that were meaningless. It was just a disaster of a non-deal. Plus, we sent them uh, and secret flights of cash on airplanes. We sent them money. That's the, or, that's the administration. And the followers who like that deal 
thought that was a really good idea to fund in the billions of dollars the number one terror exporting country in the world. That was a good plan. But someone who now speaks up and says, actually, we have to face a threat of radical Islam in America. We have to do something about that's the one they're worried about, the Fred Flights and and John Bolton. So, folks, this is a a battle for being able to defend America. Okay, so that was that uh, first five tonight. I really encourage you to follow this Fred Flights. His last name is F.L. F as in Frank. L-E-I-T-Z, Fred Flights, really good writer, really good guy, very substantive, very thorough, very serious, very serious, substantive guy. So, and you know, he, he's really under attack from people who just don't want to see America get tough. And it doesn't really even matter what their motives are. He's the kind of guy we need in that job. Okay, next thing I want to hit tonight, um, you know, there's been all this talk this week. In fact, I was going to tell you, um, I um, spoke at SMU I think three or four times last year, uh, which is fun. If you're not listening in Dallas, uh, a big university in Dallas near uh, us is SMU. And it's a fabulous school. I've spoken there different things. Well, a student at SMU emailed me, which is kind of funny because I, you know, I, anyway, I've, uh, he said, I've heard you speak a few times. I listened to your show. He asked me, would you talk about this Trump team legal letter the letter and and this has been you know all over the big news this week this this a uh, question of Donald Trump president Trump's lawyers sent a letter to the Mueller investigation to the Mueller team in January of this year so we're here now we're here in June early June but this letter was sent in January by the Trump team to the Mueller team essentially laying out their response to the desire, the the quest that Mueller has to question President Trump in connection with this witch hunt that is allegedly an investigation uh, into whether or not there was collusion between the Trump team and the Russians. And we've talked about this story so much on this show that I'm not going to go back over the details again, but this is a really important development. First of all, yet another thing was leaked to New York Times, Washington Post, who ran with this story, 20-page letter written by the Trump team to the Mueller team talking about responding to the Mueller team's request to uh, have a personal sit-down with President Trump to ask him questions about this, um, you know, about this ongoing investigation. The reason I wanted to talk with you about it is twofold. And beside that, this young SMU student asked me if I would. And I really do think it matters. And my lawyer head, my lawyer background does kick in a little bit. Plus, my preserve America and the Constitution and the rule of law head is is uh, on to this issue, too. But to start with, one aspect of this story that has been blown up and, and of course, by the left immediately going to try to just discredit not only Donald Trump and his legal team, legal advice, the position he's taking, taken, is that one argument's being made is that the Trump team appears to be arguing that the president of the United States can never be, uh, be charged with obstruction of justice under any circumstance whatsoever. And that is not what the Trump team said in these letters. Let me just make that clear. They did not say that. This is an extrapolation by people, you know, the the typical, the usual suspects, you know, the New York Times um, and the Washington Post just on and on about this is outrageous. We can't have a president. He thinks he's above the law. He's saying I can't ever obstruct justice. That's not what the letter said. And you have to read the comments. The letter is 20 pages long and there's a link to it on 
our uh, website, americacanwetalk.org. You can just Google it. You can find the whole letter yourself. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because this is another effort by the media to stir the American public up and say, oh, my gosh, now President Trump thinks he's above the law. He thinks he couldn't ever obstruct justice. And he's got these lawyers backing him up. That's not what he said. I'm gonna, we have just like a minute before this next break, so I'm just going to give you a flavor of the kinds of questions that were in that Mueller had already communicated communicated to the Trump team, saying this is what we want to ask President Trump about. So his lawyers writing back recounted that summary of all the topics that President that that Mueller wanted to ask President Trump about, and they have a sixteen uh, bullet point summary in the letter that went was sent in January and leaked this week, but. If you finish reading this, I can't even get to the list. We're running out of time. If you, but if you see the kind of things they were asking about, <clears throat> asking about, they're essentially this is. If you ever had any doubt whether or not this was actually an investigation to find out if Trump somehow colluded with the Russians during the campaign, or if your other thought was. Maybe this is just a determined investigation by Robert Mueller to see if he could uncover anything possibly that could be later charged as a crime against Trump or anyone related to him. You would realize from this list that it's the latter, that this investigation has always been about not discovering truth is finding a way to prosecute or at least impeach President Trump. Tell you about when we come back. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. 
Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm so glad you've tuned in tonight. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I love talking with you every week. My show, America Can We Talk, is dedicated just entirely to the idea of preserving the precious, important, unique, extraordinary idea that is America. And the reason we focus so much on this story of the Mueller investigation, uh, the you know Russia collusion investigation is because what really what we're seeing we are watching in front of us on national news when you if you read about it online or you watch it in national news you read about it on your computer what we are watching is the uh the working away at by the republican side to try to get to the truth of what happened inside the fbi as the uh it appeared to be more and more members of the fbi were involved in some way at very high levels of trying to bring about the uh, loss of the presidential election by the Trump team, working to undermine a political opponent of the then administration, the Obama administration. And then after that, even after President Trump won the election, the effort to bring down that president uh, by continuing to keep in stories and headlines and news and public speculation that somehow President Trump's victory was not legitimate, that it was, you know, brought about by collusion with the Russians, brought about by some other um, you know, nefarious thing, and so involving the Russians. And the reason it matters so much is that our national security entities, our law enforcement entities, the FBI, the Department of Justice, their entire reason for having a federal budget, their reason for existing is to be 
actually a nonpartisan, not supposed to be favoring the administration that they're in, a nonpartisan investigator, a nonpartisan prosecutor when needed, of violations of law. They're not supposed to be a political wing. And what has come to light uh, as this in, in the entire Donald Trump presidency has been oppressed with this is this appears that the effort um, to look into President Trump's campaign during 2016, the it appears very obvious now that the Department of Justice simply stirred up, created this story by putting informant and informant inside the Trump team early on and planting the seeds of doubt about don't you think Trump is colluding with the Russians? Don't you think he might have been the one who hacked in and got the DNC's emails? Don't you think somehow Trump's and the Russians are working on this together somehow? Planting seeds and then when those seeds came back to them as reports, they were and then able to launch the entire investigation. The reason I want I, I want to just insist and encourage that you don't abandon understanding how important this is, is because many of these people are still at the FBI. They're still in the Department of Justice. They think they think what they did is okay because they think at the higher level, they are kind of more important than the American people's decision about who they want as president, that their view, their desires uh, for a Hillary Clinton administration uh, was just a morally superior preference. And that was what they were going to go for. So on to what. So back to the story before the break. What the what again, a leak to The New York Times, Washington Post a letter from the Trump administration lawyers to the Mueller team responding to the Mueller team, the special prosecutor asking for uh, questioning, a sitting down questioning with President Trump. And we've had, you know, other experts in the show, Sidney Powell, other national security people basically saying, you know, that would be a disaster. There's no reason for the president to sit down with the Mueller team. Um, this is, you know, you don't ever let your client do that. And obviously, Robert Mueller, he staffed his entire team with Trump, excuse me, with, you know, with Trump haters, with uh, Hillary Clinton supporting lawyers, with Obama people. Mueller's entire team is comprised of of lawyers, 16 or 17, whatever the number is now, um, of lawyers, all who are dedicated to Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. These are not people seeking justice. These are people seeking to get Trump. So the let, what we discovered this week, the letter from the um, Trump t- people to the Mueller team had these questions. They said they wanted to ask about... Uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, information regarding his contact with Ambassador Kislyak, the the Russian, about sanctions, Uh, Flynn's communications with with Vice President Pence. Uh, What, if anything, Trump knew anything about Flynn's interview with the FBI? Uh, Sally Yates coming to the White House, the president's meeting on February 14th with then-director James Comey. Any relevant information? So, I'm sorry, it's going to get boring on radio to read these, but it's basically every... There is nothing in any of these questions related to Trump or his team actually colluding with the Russians. It's all about who Trump talked to and what what his thinking was, in fact, as part of what the lawyers are saying and there are various communications with the um, Department of Justice is, you know, and this goes back to the big story that was in the media. The big argument in the media this week was is that somehow the Trump team had taken the position that president that no president can ever obstruct justice, and that's not what they said. What they're saying is because the president is in fact the the chief executive, the FBI Department of Justice fall under the executive branch. 
that, of course, the president, as had been recognized for decades, has the authority to appoint and remove, for example, FBI Director Comey. But what the Mueller's team is trying to get at is, did you have in your thinking, in the back of your mind, when you decided to fire Comey, whether or not you could maybe short, you know, shut down this investigation into, uh, into collusion with the Russians? And I'm here to tell you, folks, this is what... This is what becomes so dangerous about this. To finish that, that line of thought first is President Trump could have the authority to fire James Comey because he didn't like what color socks he wears. Because anything. In fact, Pre- uh, Director Comey testified in Congress. It's, it's long established precedent. The president, the president has the right to, to terminate the uh, director of the FBI for any reason, no reason whatsoever, period, full stop. So everybody knew and everybody knows that he had that right. But what Robert Mueller is trying to get at is he thinks or he's getting at, can he make an obstruction charge, obstructing justice, if you fired him for a reason that we don't like? And that's part of what the lengthy, and I do encourage you, if you could stand to read it all, the um, letter from the uh, White House to uh, Mueller to the uh, Mueller team, the White House lawyers, essentially saying he's got the right to do this. He doesn't have to explain to you why he did it. The other very relevant precedent here, and there's Third Circuit, which is Federal Circuit Court opinion precedent, that in these types of investigations, these special counsel investigations, the president should never be called as a witness unless a special prosecutor, the special counsel, can prove there is no other way to get the information he is seeking. And so the other point that the uh, Trump lawyers are saying is we have sent, we, the White House, have complied with subpoenas. We've sent tens of thousands of documents in response to your document requests. We've made people available to you, the the Mueller team, to listen, to, to answer questions. They've already had, they've turned over documents and made witnesses available when they could have simply asserted executive privilege. And that's a really important point to understand. They could have asserted executive privilege. They've already been more cooperative than even the law requires them to do. And this is part of what, you know, I'm talking legalese here before I get to the big point in a second, but the Trump lawyers are making extreme, they're very, very good points, very basic points about, you know, this is, you're not supposed to be able to just sit the president down and kind of, you know, question him. With, and as I said, you got to read the questions yourselves. But the point is, they're trying to make the case, the Mueller team, that we can just sit President Trump down and pick his brain until we finally get to something we can pounce on and say, oh, that's a motive that we can maybe construe to be obstruction. So therefore, we're going to call it obstruction. And therefore, we can, I mean, it goes on and on. And so this is, this is the beginning of the Trump lawyers finding a spine, actually saying, and as I noticed this week that um, Rudy Giuliani has now been out really sounding like, I'm not sure this is, this has gone far enough. Mueller, you have something or you don't. And, you know, I have to tell you, the problem that the Democrats have in this is that the Democrats have been telling their faithful followers that the election was lost in 2016 uh, because Trump colluded with the Russians. They have planted this seed and there are a lot of Americans running around who don't read like listeners to this show do or like I do. And so that they actually think it happened. They actually think President Trump is office is in office because he actually did this. But the evidence is overwhelming after a year and a half of Mueller, tens of thousands of documents, thousands and thousands of hours of recorded interviews, 17 lawyers working full time. They have nothing. 
And this is becoming the stark reality in the minds of Democrats realizing we don't have this guy and we've got all of our foolish followers thinking that we do have this. And the entire planning, if you didn't realize the agenda here, the entire planning on the part of the Democrats was the idea that they were going to get to the point that this point in, in, in this year, 2018, with midterm elections coming up, that they could simply get around to uh, getting a supportable impeachment effort going, that they would have the, the voting public in America decide we're going to vote Democrats in because President Trump needs to be impeached. And just the opposite is happening. It, there is no there's no energy for impeachment. They're recognizing their agenda for the fall, which basically is running on impeachment, is gone and they're desperate. And I come back from the break and tell you one more thing about Trey Gowdy and Marco Rubio, who um, have been so out of line this week. I can't even believe it. Come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, Go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you 
to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Can you hear us now? And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, so I want to tell you, folks, this whole thing that we're watching unfold in Washington, this is really like one of those issues where I think that when you're... um, when you're tuned into politics, as I tend to live and breathe, and I think about them a lot, not politics in the sense of, you know, who's running what kind of campaign and, and you know, the kind of the, the ugly or dirty side of politics, but the big, noble idea behind American government, behind politics, which is the point of government in America is to uphold America. The point of politics in America is not just to think up the coolest campaign slogan or to figure out the dirtiest trick and somehow not get caught by doing it. The point is to uphold and preserve this country. And this is why this story is so important about what the Department of Justice did, what they appear to be continuing to to be doing, and why it is I can't even think of a word strong enough, astounding that we have two elected members of the United States Congress. We have Congressman Trey Gowdy and we have and both Republicans I'm talking about. I mean, leave the Democrats out of this. We have Republican Trey Gowdy, uh, United States Congress, and we have Senator Marco Rubio, former presidential candidate Marco Rubio, who do not know what time it is in America. They do not see what is happening in front of their eyes. And I'm sorry because they are smart people in many things. They are, you know, good public servants, probably in a ton of issues. But this week, what happened to those two is almost beyond description. And the reason it matters so much is because they have been either, there's two choices, they have been ignorantly lulled in to the Democrat media madness that has kept this Russian-Trump collusion thing going and going and going, and they've been lulled into it enough that they're just not tuned, they're, they're not seeing what's happening. Or worse, they have some motive that I don't know yet, but I, but I have some ideas, that they would actually attack our president, attack the Republican Party by going along with the Democrat media mob attack on, on Trump. I don't know if it's they're truly just delusion. They've now been that they've been brainwashed in Washington too long. Can't see what Mueller and Comey and Obama and Hillary were doing with this whole Mueller investigation. They either don't see it, which is really bad. 
and and they shouldn't be in Washington if they're not if they're that's if they're truly not discerning enough to see it, um, or they do see it and they've got some really sinister and bad idea, bad motive for why they would do what they did this week. Here's a quick story. So Trey Gowdy, you know, great prosecutor figure. He was really had a lot of great sound bites during the Benghazi hearings uh, in Washington. But as you know. Actually, you know, the total of some total of what came out of all the Benghazi hearings and all the wrongdoing uncovered was zip, zero, nada, nothing. But I digress. So Trey Gowdy, he's the chairman of the House Oversight Committee. He's part of the, the uh, group that went over to the FBI this week to look at and talk with them uh, about whether uh, this whole story of whether the FBI planted a spy in the Trump campaign. Now, this is Trump's language. Trump has been tweeting it out, calling it Spygate. They sent someone into his campaign. This is not even disputable anymore. I mean, everybody knows that there was this guy, um, his last name is Helper, Kenny was, Stephen Helper, I think it was, um, used by the FBI as an informant to get inside the Trump campaign, to plant the seeds of doubt, to plant this whole story. And then the story makes it way back to Washington. That becomes the basis of this whole launching, this whole investigation this is what and, and this is what I just said to you is now it's not dispute in dispute. These are not facts in dispute. This is these, that much is known. The question is the motive. And so Gowdy and the House, the gang of eight goes over to the FBI to review documents to find out you know, what did they know? Did they really spy on President Trump? And Gowdy, of course, this week had a, a statement on Fox this week. Um, he was interviewed about having seen the documents. Now that he's seen them, does he think it's right? Was Trump really the victim of Spygate or not? And I think I think Greg has my clip one available to this is Trey Gowdy. If you got it, Greg. Yes, I, I am. I am even more convinced that the FBI did exactly what my fellow citizens would want them to do when they got the information they got and that it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. OK, he's being pilloried rightly. He's being pilloried for that statement. That was Trey Gowdy being interviewed, basically saying, yeah, the Democrats are right. Trump shouldn't be caught in the spy gate. Nothing to see here. Nothing bad happened. FBI just doing their job. I mean, folks, everybody knows that's not true. I mean, it's the Democrat talking point. What else are they going to say? But this is Trey Gowdy deciding he's casting his lot with the Democrats. He's casting his lot with the people who are trying to portray to pretend, continue the myth, continue the just the, this farce played out in front of America that there was genuine concern within the FBI and Department of Justice, and they had to put somebody in and start spying. Start this whole process. This FISA gate process is getting warrants, spying on the entire Trump team, you know, getting all warrants and getting statements from all, all these different people in the Trump team and then unmasking them. The whole thing started because the FBI decided we get to spy on Donald Trump because Obama said so, because this is an, a, a Democrat administration, because we think it'd be better, the country would be better with Hillary. So they did this. And so this is, and I'll tell you, Trey Gowdy is one of the astounding number of Republicans who's announced he's not going to run again. I'm going to come back to this in the second hour about what is the reason this astonishing number of Republicans aren't running again? Because the Democrats and the media try to tell you it's because they're so embarrassed by Trump they can't stand being part of it. It's because they liked, you know, they just can't live with the Trump agenda. They don't know what's happened to the Republican Party. I don't think so. 
I don't think that's the reason. I think there are a lot of other reasons that aren't very good reasons. But Trey Gowdy, anyway, has decided he's not running again. Fine. But he went over to this meeting, took the side of what the Democrat talking points were afterwards and said, oh, nothing to see here. They did exactly what would be wanted, what we would want done. And this brings me to something I cannot urge you strongly enough to go to our website to read two articles because I can't give you the whole long story here in this in tonight. But. One is from uh, this, the Federalist, great uh, piece called Trey Gowdy didn't even see the documents he claims exonerate the FBI and Spygate. So this brilliant author at the Federalist has all sorts of sources saying, this is Molly Hemingway, when they got to that meeting, and by the way, the reason they had this meeting at the FBI was because the FBI was refusing to produce documents in response to subpoenas from the House and, and Senate Intelligence Committees. I mean, and the House and Intelligence, uh, and Senate House and, and House Intelligence Committees had subpoenaed documents trying to get to the bottom. How did this whole dang investigation get started? That was the question. Trying to get documents, FBI would not answer would not produce them. And in fact, the FBI tried to blame the Trump White House. Like, well, the White House doesn't want us to. I swear they don't want us to. And the Trump White House said, no, that's not true. We didn't say that. Please produce them. Please produce them. Finally, this meeting got set up in response to that little scenario with, with the Trump White House saying, yes, I do want you to produce these documents. I want to know what happened here. So they have this meeting over at the FBI, and Molly Hemingway is reporting from numerous sources that they got to the meeting, they still didn't get the documents. But, or at least they didn't get all the documents. They didn't get the documents or trying to get at how did this disaster happen. So they leave the meeting without the documents, but Trey Gowdy is okay. He's okay reporting, and on national news, repeating it over and over, that you know, there, there's just, you wouldn't, you couldn't be prouder. The law of the FBI couldn't be prouder. They did just what you'd want them to do. That was Trey Gowdy. Marco Rubio, in an almost equal idiocy, uh, or maybe even worse, moral idiocy, came up with the answer that it really was okay because they weren't spying on, um, they were spying on individuals, not on the Trump campaign. So he was saying, yes, Spygate did happen, but it's okay because the FBI explained to us that actually it was spying on individuals, not the Trump campaign itself. Okay, the other brilliant piece you have to read to get the full flavor of this is written by Andrew McCarthy, who has been, I've mentioned him on the show many times, he's been on the show a couple of times, just brilliant guy, former federal prosecutor, prosecutor of the blind shake, great writer, great thinker. He has been throughout this Mueller investigation, as a former Justice Department employee, he has been very, very tepid and timid commit, criticizing the Justice Department at all. He's been one of the ones all along saying, well, let Mueller do his job. It's probably okay. You know, you can't really pick on Mueller. Let's be careful. Just defending Mueller when he was indefensible. And he has finally, in this column, this piece he wrote on May 30th, this is Andrew McCarthy, just basically took Trey Gowdy and Marco Rubio to task to say, what in the world are you talking about? How could you be saying that this investigation 
was not that they weren't spying on Trump. How could you even say such a thing? And, you know, they they, they parse words like Gowdy's trying to say, well, we didn't spy. We don't call it spy. We call it informant. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Since we said the wrong word, the entire story uh, falls apart. I mean, this is the way uh, Trey Gowdy parsed words in the way he spoke on, on this issue. He said, well, you know, we, we, it was an informant. It's not really the right word, spy. We can't, kind of can't say that. Um, and so part of what uh, Andrew McCarthy does in this brilliant piece he wrote is to talk about all the evidence right in front of Congress, already testified to by Comey, by Brennan, to Congress, to the House Committee, the Senate Committee, laying out all sorts of facts, making what Trey Gowdy and Marco Rubio tried to do in minimizing and and kind of mocking Trump for having said, called it Spygate. This article by Andrew McCarthy points out if they had just listened to the testimony to Congress, right to them, they would have known that this that nothing they're saying now um, is is true. I mean, Trey Gowdy and Marco Rubio both should have known that what they got told at the FBI, the storyline that the FBI is trying to carry out, has nothing to do with truth. And so I use the expression moral idiocy because I can't think of a better word for it. But the danger to America, if we don't let these hold these people to task, if we we need to ignore Trey Gowdy and Marco Rubio, keep on digging, don't buy their excuses and get to the bottom of what happened. Who authorized Spygate? My guess, President Obama. But whoever it was, this is serious enough in America to get on top of. So, you know, folks, we're going to go off to a break in just a minute here. I want to tell you. I love if you're listening on radio. I hope you listen on Facebook Live. We have great interactions going, great data. My Facebook Live thing is just, I'm I'm in whatever, 17 countries and 21 states. Love having you talk to me every week. Come back after our break.